It's so good, so good to be here with you this morning. I don't recognize half of you because the church keeps growing and changing. I have spied a few Rock and Redeemerites so floating around. We did inc- We take uh, August off uh, at our church in Dunstable because we're lazy. Um, and Jesus forgives, so it's fine. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's good to see you guys. I was encouraging them to come in August, but I did say to them, don't join. Do not join. That's the rule. Because uh, we've been here two weeks in a row, and we're like, oh, the kids, they go out like, for the whole time. This is incredible, isn't it? It's just like, you, you come to Rock and Redeemer, you, you, you'll get what I'm talking about. Um, you probably won't want to stay. Although it looks very similar. Like, I was thinking, this is very similar to what we're going for, isn't it? Yeah. No, no, yeah, no, it's great. We love it here. It's so good to be here. You guys are my people, if, if you want to say it like that. I'm from St. Albans, born and raised in St. Albans. This is the church. We're not here, but uh, not this building, but this church, St. Albans Vineyard, is where I first started really following Jesus. Uh, back at the school in Marlborough, I was smoking outside. It's quite funny, actually, because I, um, I used to go to Oakland's College, and uh, a group of my friends who I used to do various illegal things with, um, looked at me one day and said, hey, do you want to come to our church? <laughs> I was like, really? Okay, yeah, why not? And uh, so uh, there we go. We all turned up at uh, uh, St. Albans Vineyard, and uh, that was a beautiful thing, and I stayed. Uh, it took me about four weeks before I even went inside, uh, but I did, and never looked back. It's beautiful. Chris and Phyllis have been such a huge inspiration. Their leadership, their investment in my life has been uh, literally incredible, and I'm grateful uh, for that, and I thank you. Uh, the Rock and Redeemer Vineyard wouldn't exist without you guys, as would a ton of other churches, so thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, let me just pray, and I want to get into it. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it can be trusted, and now we come and we humble ourselves under your word this morning. Would you come? Would you speak to us? Would you speak your words of life? Would you speak your words of blessing, your words of hope to our hearts this morning? May my words be your words and my thoughts be your thoughts. In the name of Jesus, we pray all this. Amen. Now, I wonder if you know this morning that you guys all sitting right here, Jesus has an invitation for you this morning. He holds an invitation for you. He's inviting every man, woman, and child into uh, his blessing, his goodness, his love. We're told in John 10.10 that Jesus has uh, has come to bring life, and life in all its abundance. Jesus is the great life giver. If you're here this morning wondering what's the point of it all, what's the point of life, Jesus has an invitation for you. Maybe you're here and you've been walking with the Lord a long time. And if you're honest with yourself, it's got a little stale, a little mundane. Jesus has an invitation for you this morning to come on a new adventure with him. Perhaps you're here and your job or your health or your family are literally falling apart around you. And Jesus looks at you this morning with kindness, with love in his eyes, and he holds out an invitation, an invitation to trust him with the most precious and valuable parts of your life. Maybe you've heard the message of Jesus a thousand times. You've responded to that message. But Jesus is really just a bit of a lucky charm for you. He's something that you go to when things start going wrong. There's an invitation for you this morning to truly follow him, to truly be his disciple. And maybe you're here and life's going well. Maybe your walk with Jesus is beautiful, it's vibrant, there is blessing flowing in your life. Well, guess what? He has an invitation for you 
this morning for more, uh, for more blessing, for more freedom, for more goodness. For every one of us, no matter what our circumstance, wherever we're at, whatever we've done, whatever we are going to do, Jesus has an invitation for us. And the question is, what does it look like? So I'm going to read from Romans 8, 28 to 39. I think it's going to magically appear. There we go. Woo! And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might become the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died and more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. The invitation that is offered to you, all, everyone this morning, is an invitation to be loved by God and to love him. It's an invitation to be loved by God and to love him. God loves you. Did you know that? Did you know that God loves you? He really does. He really loves you. It's something that you should meditate on. Think about, let it sink into you, repeat over and over. Because if you're like me, you kind of get it in theory, but your life doesn't necessarily show that you believe it. Did you know that not only does he love you, but God actually really likes you? Do you know God finds you funny? No one else does, but God finds you funny. <laughs> he really likes you, he really does. He likes hanging out with you. God loves you. Like I said, maybe you know the theory of a loving God and a saviour and have a faith in him, but your face doesn't necessarily always show that you believe what you've heard. If we truly knew what we have been saved from, what we have been saved for, what we have been saved to, we would smile a lot more, wouldn't we? We would smile a lot more. Not in a smug sort of way, but in a way that just naturally comes from a soul that is at peace, that is at rest with the fact that it is loved and it is secured and it is blessed in the Father. Friedrich Nietzsche, the uh, great, well, some would say great, German atheist philosopher, once chastised a group of uh, pious Christian women that he came across because he said to them, if you truly understood the message that you believed, you wouldn't walk around with sour faces. That's the great atheist philosopher chastising Christians for not getting the message of the gospel there. Earlier on in the book of Romans in chapter 5, Paul tells us that God 
proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Back in the Garden of Eden, way back, page three of the Bible, evil entered the world. A sickness came into every human heart, spread into every heart, a devastating disease that put us all under a sentence of death. Humanity decided that it didn't want to just have relationship with God, but we wanted to be our own God. We wanted to be our own gods, and I'm sure you've seen its effects in your life. When you look back over your life, you will see the effects of evil, of suffering, of brokenness, in ill health, in sickness, in misery, in anger, in hatred. We're all slaves to these unholy compulsions, and we're lost, and all of us at some level, if we will stop kidding ourselves and thinking that we're in control, all of us are crying out, help, I can't do it on my own, I need a saviour. God is a God who hears our hearts cry. And in Jesus Christ, 2018-ish, years ago, as the uh, message translation tells us, in a stable in Bethlehem, God moved into the neighborhood. I love that, I love that. God moved into the neighborhood. God himself came to rescue us. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, all of both, was born, he grew to be a man. We read the stories. He lived the perfect life. He died an unjust death. And in doing so, he defeated sin and death. And now all who love and follow Jesus can join him and join Paul when he tells the church in Corinth that death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Where is your victory? It's been swallowed up on the cross. When evil came into the world, the law was broken. Justice was required. Now, some of us have a problem with this. Some of us say, well, why did... We, well, I've not been that bad. I don't, we don't require justice. We all want justice. We all want justice. If something bad happens to your family, if someone breaks into your house, if someone harms your family member, you will want justice to the letter of the law, to the perpetrator, won't you? But we don't apply that same logic to ourselves. We think, well, we can get off scot-free, but those people, they all require justice. We all need justice. And the justice was meted out, a sentence of death. We are all under it. We are all fully culpable, fully responsible, fully guilty. But, but in Jesus, mercy triumphed over judgment. Mercy triumphed over judgment, didn't it? God himself as he moved into the neighborhood, he took our punishment for us so that now the powers of sin and darkness and hell, and as Paul has just told us, resurrection, his resurrection now is living proof that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, or any powers, neither height nor depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want an assurance that you are loved by God this morning, you look at the empty cross at Calvary, you look at the empty tomb, and there is your assurance that you are loved by God, fully, perfectly, wholly loved by God. And what does it say in verse 30? It says, those he predestined, big word, causes a lot of problem, we're not going to talk about it. He also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And you say, 
What's justified? And Chris actually talked about this last week, didn't he? Justified is, some Christians think that we've been forgiven. And yes, we have. And we've been forgiven. But sometimes, if you're like me, you can, you can have a bit of a wrong view of God. And you think that God's a bit of an angry head teacher. And you've been sent to his office. And you've sat down and you're like, I'm sorry, yeah. I did that, yeah, I'm sorry. Right, don't do it again. Okay, off you go, right? Yeah, and you sort of think that God's just remembered that stuff and uh, that he's going to hold that against you. So next time you go back, it's going to be twice as bad because he's remembered that stuff and now he's piling on this new stuff to you. Do you know what I mean? Some of us can think about God that way, but that is not being justified at all. That's being pardoned, maybe. That's being forgiven. But being justified means that all our wrongdoing Everything we've ever done, everything we ever will do has been put on Jesus at the cross. And now all of his righteousness has now been completely imputed to us. So when we stand before the Father, he doesn't look at us remembering our sins and say they're no more. He looks at us as if we have never, ever sinned. He looks at us, each one of us, you, me, and he sees Jesus, the perfect, sinless, spotless one. That is what it means to be justified. Do you hear what I'm saying? Amen. There's a story, goes like this. There's a Catholic priest, and he heard that there was a lady that was having visions of Jesus. Uh, and these, these visions, they were, they were very interesting. They were very uh, profound. Uh, it seemed to be genuine. And he wanted to investigate this. This was in America, excuse me. And so he contacted this lady, and he said to her, are you... Uh, you're the lady that's having visions of Jesus. And she's astonished, she's very nervous. She said, yes, yes, that's me. And he said to her, I want you to do something for me. I want you, the next time uh, that you, you feel that you're having a vision of Jesus, I want you to ask him, uh, what are the sins that I, the priest, confess in the, my next confessional? Will you do that for me? And she was embarrassed. She was like, I'm not sure about that. And he said, please, would you do that for me? It's like a little, little test. She said, oh, okay, okay. And then a couple of weeks goes by, the priest hasn't heard anything. He kind of thinks, oh, that's probably a bit of nonsense. And then he gets a phone call, and it's the lady. And she's very excited, and she says, Father, Father, I've had another vision. And he, and, and he, he, he just, as you can understand, he did a little bit, oh, okay. Uh, did, you, did you say uh, what I asked you to say? Did you ask Jesus? And she said, oh, yes, I did. And then the priest gets very agitated. Um, this is, by all accounts, a true story. And he said, uh, uh, what, what did he say? And literally, she says, Father, he said, I don't remember. That's being justified. Jesus doesn't remember our sins. He doesn't hold them up and stack them up and then look at the cross. Our sins are not even there. So Marcus Lone, the great Australian archbishop, said this. He said, the voice that spells forgiveness will say, you may go. You've been let off the penalty which your sins deserve. But the verdict, which means acceptance or justification, says this. You may come. You are welcome into all my love and presence. That's what it means to be justified. That is the message of love for us all here this morning. That's the invitation we're talking about. It's the love that we are invited into. It sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds really good. The message of the gospel is good news, and it's good news for a reason. It's hard to believe it is so good, but it is true. Now, some of you old-time Christians might hear this and you say, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. That, that's great. That's, that's really great. You probably have. You've probably heard it a lot, and, and God willing, you'll hear it a lot more. But please, please, please never stop hearing 
the good news of Jesus. There's the old song, isn't there? I love to tell the story. Uh, it will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Speak the gospel to yourself over and over. Apply it to your life over and over again. One of my favorite Christian authors, a guy called Paul Tripp, says this. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. So it's vital that we are sure of what we are telling ourselves. Daily, hourly, remind yourself of the good news of the gospel of love and grace and mercy triumphing over judgment at the cross. Apply it to your life. It's important with daily listening, applying the message. The invitation of Jesus is just as much for the mature Christian that has heard it all before as it is for those who have never heard it. The application to our hearts of good news of Jesus' love for those that have never heard it is a movement from death to life, isn't it? It's a movement from desolation to hope, from fear to faith. The application to our hearts of the gospel for those of us that have already responded to Jesus' love is a reminder that we don't have to live as slaves to fear and doubt, that guilt doesn't hang on to us because we are justified, not just pardoned. That we have a God, as it tells us in uh, Romans, uh, I think it's, uh, Romans 8 there, it tells us that we have a God who's interceding for us, who has freed us from being a slave to guilt, of not being good enough, but has freed us to enjoy and revel in his goodness. If you've already heard and responded to that invitation, do you share the message? Do you share the invitation with those around you? You know, one of the saddest statistics that I've ever come across in relation to sort of church growth and, and, and uh, Christianity, things like that, is this, is that statistically, within three to five years of someone becoming a Christian and getting plugged into a church following Jesus, within three to five years, they, the large majority of people will have zero non-Christian friends within three to five years. That is tragic. That is absolutely tragic. Why? Because the Jesus that we worship spent every spare moment that he could with the sinners, with the tax collectors, with the outcasts, with those that needed his grace. He said, I haven't come for the well. You don't send a doctor to those that are well. You send a doctor to the sick. I haven't come for the righteous, but I've come for the unrighteous. And they're the ones that Jesus concentrated his time and energy. Why? Because there was no pride there. They were aware of their fallenness. They were aware of their need of his love and his forgiveness. If he's our example, we should be doing the same? Do we share this extraordinary love with our work colleagues, with our friends, with our families, with those that need it? Not in a rehearsed sort of way, but just in a, Jesus loves me so much. It is the best thing. Please, please examine his love. Read the gospels. Find him for yourself. Ask me questions. You need this love in your life. I need this love. I loved that song that we sang where it said, I think it was every breath admits that I need you, something like that, right? That is what we're talking about here. These people that we love, if we really get this message, if this message has really gripped and consumed our hearts, it must force us to share this message with those that we love that are headed for a life and eternity away from their heavenly Father that loves them so much. Yes? Do you understand? Yes, it must do that. Get to know and love the people that need Jesus. Tell them about how loved they are, about how God's not angry with them, 
A lot of people out there believe in a God, but they don't want to know near a God because he's furious at them, apparently, according to their motivations. That is not the message of the gospel. Mercy has triumphed over judgment. People need to be set free from the lies that they have told themselves about what God may or may not look like. And we carry that message to share with them. When they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, what do you do? You make it up. No, no, you don't. You say, I don't know. That's fine. That is power. Honesty is power. When we're talking to people about our faith, one of my favorite passages uh, in the gospel is, is where Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, you remember, uh, and he panics because he's been healed. And he's called before the, uh, the religious rulers and they say, who, who did this? What happened? And he is terrified because he could get in a lot of trouble. He goes, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. That's it, right? That's our message. This is my story before I met Jesus. This is my story now. I may not have all the theological answers that tick your boxes for you, but let me tell you what life was like before. It was hopeless. And then I met Jesus, and now it's like this. And that is the offer on the table for each one of you that is waiting for That is what we share when we share the gospel. Sometimes when we go to invite people to church, we feel like we're inviting them to play a game of Russian roulette don't we? It's like it's the worst thing in the world to say, do you want to come to church? <laughs> like, like these words just sort of like choke us, don't they? You know what happens? You know what the worst case scenario is when we ask that question? Someone says no. That's it. It's not like they say no and your head blows up. Yeah? <laughs> they just say no. They go, oh, well, thanks for thinking of me. Maybe another time. Or maybe, no, that's not for me. That's fine. Be inviting people, always inviting people, always inviting people, always prepared to hear a no, and that's absolutely fine because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Our job is the invitation. Our job is not the response, is it? Our job is just to invite and to invite and to invite. And this invitation has no expiring. It has no condition. Wherever you are at, there is always more available if you want it. Whether you've never heard it, the invitation is one to life from death. If you've heard it a thousand times, the invitation is always to more, is always to go deeper, to really, really wrestle and grasp with the fact that you are loved. But the thing with invitations is that they do require a response. It always requires a response. To not respond is to very much respond. You cannot unhear an invitation, can you? Ignorance is now no longer an option for those that have heard the gospel. When you hear the message of salvation, hope, love, and embrace, ignorance is now no longer on the table. We cannot claim that anymore. We can't go back to not knowing what we now know, can we? So, you're faced with a choice. Always faced with a choice. Do I accept it? Or do I reject it? Very simple. Do I accept Jesus' invitation of love? Or will I reject it? And my question to you, if you've never heard this, or you've never heard it like this, and this is, is, is challenging something in you, and you're thinking about maybe Jesus' offer is actually good. My question would be, how's it going running your own life? If you're being honest, completely honest, how are you doing at running your own life? How is that going for you? And it's a genuine question. I'm not, I mean, no, no hint of sarcasm or anything in there. How is it going? Are you happy? Are you in control? Have you got all the plates spinning well? 
You may have. The answer may be yes. But if the answer, when you're really honest, is no, you know what? I'm not very good at this. The answer is, is that you were never meant to be very good at it. You were never, ever meant to be good at being in control of your own life. God, I can't control an hour, let alone my whole life. <laughs> you know? someone, who is it? someone said to me, David Wilson was here last week, and he said to me, hmm, you're surprised. Your, your life is pretty chaotic. And it's like, of course it is. Have you met yourself? You know what I mean? Like, Harsh, but yeah, probably true. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Thanks, Dave. Good to see you again. <laughs> uh, but we're not very good at it because we're not made to be in control of our lives. We have a perfect loving heavenly father that is very good at being in control it's what he does he keeps the planets going in orbit he keeps the earth going around the sun he keeps uh, he keeps the tides coming in and coming out and he's very good not one of your hairs has gone without being numbered uh, by your father that created you that loves you he knows every single one of you from your conception and even before before the beginning of time he had plans for you. He had prepared a way for you. He, you are not a surprise to him. Why not submit, to the control of, submit the control of your life to the love of a perfect, good, loving, heavenly Father? Why would you not do that? That is my contention to you. No matter how big a shipwreck you've made of your life, it doesn't matter. You're welcome exactly as you are. Jesus is very good. Uh, a, a dear lady that actually uh, died a few years ago, uh, one of my favorite ladies in the whole world, used to say, Jesus is very good at mopping up our messes. And I love that. That's actually a hallmark uh, statement of my life because I make a lot of mess. Unfortunately, Jesus is very good at dealing with that. He's very good at mopping up our messes. There are no conditions. It was just unconditional love. Why not let him take control? and take you on an adventure, the likes of which you have never, ever imagined or foreseen before. And I'll close with this quote. C.S. Lewis, who said in his book, The Great Divorce, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And then there are those whom, to, God, to whom God says, thy will be done. The choice is open. What are you going to do? Why don't you stand? Let me pray. The band want to come back up. Jesus, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your wonderful saving work, the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Thank you a thousand times. Thank you. And that word is so poor if it's left just a word. So may my life be a living thank you to you. I pray for all of the brothers and sisters here that their lives would be a living thank you to you for your wonderful love that their life would be a trophy of grace, a trophy of your mercy triumphing over judgment. God, that we would walk humble yet tall, knowing we are loved. I pray for those here that are wondering if this offer really is that good. I pray that you would just affirm that in their hearts now, that they would taste and see that you are good and know that blessed is the man who hides himself in you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Amen.